in this episode, I'm speaking to Satiris Evangelou, who is a sous chef at the New Hoxton Hotel in London. He tells us what it's like to be a chef, what the pressures are in the kitchen. We'll talk about his experiences of burnout and anxiety and how he works through it. We also touch on what happens when you send your food back to the kitchen and at the end you can hear me pitch one of my own recipes to Satiris. So keep listening to see if they will feature my recipe on their menu. Hi Satiris, hi, how are you? Hi Zainab, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? I'm great. So what we're going to do is we're just going to jump into it straight away. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, of course. So I'm a sous chef at the Hoxton Hotel in London. Um, I've been working there for about a year as a full-time chef. I've been working uh, here since 2014. Okay. And so speaking of like a professional kitchen, could you talk us through sort of the different levels and stages that are in the kitchen? The structure usually starts off uh, at the lowest level. You have a commie chef. Um, who are very entry-level chefs, they will come in and uh, help with uh, preparation of foods, Mm -hmm. learning the way a kitchen runs. Then you have line chefs or line cooks. So as a line cook, you will have a section of the kitchen. So you may be on a larder section where they mainly deal with starters, salads, um, dressings, and sometimes sauces. You have a saute section. And then uh, not all restaurants, but most restaurants also have a a grill section, which could be a gas or charcoal grill where you would have steaks or uh, griddled fish. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you've got the um, economy chef and then you have the line chefs. Yep. And then after that, a sous chef, which is the first line of management in a kitchen. So the sous chef is one below a head chef. So they would be on the pass, making sure all of the sections are working together uh, during a service, uh, making sure all the food is coming out at the same time, making sure it goes to the table at the same time. Uh, They also have duties uh, outside of the kitchen, things like stock taking, um, obviously managing managing the staff as well, any kind of issues they have, um, staff rotors, and then the other duty a sous chef would have is working closely with the head chef to develop new menu ideas. And then after the sous chef, you had the head chef has the final say on menu items and um, sort of from the kitchen. And in bigger companies, you have an executive chef and um, is more of a general manager of the kitchen rather than a hands-on chef. So do you, is it like an apprenticeship? Do you learn as you go along or are you supposed to come in with some knowledge already? There, there are two ways to go about it. A lot of the times, if you're coming in as a commie chef, uh, probably 90% of restaurants won't need you to have any real experience. They just want you to come in with a passion and uh, a willingness to learn. So that's why commie chefs are put to tasks like preparation you can obviously go through culinary school which helps a lot if you get training in like the traditional classic foods which are usually like when you talk about the classics you mainly talking about the french classics i'm not sure on the percentages of people that actually come from culinary college a lot of the chefs that i've worked with in the past 
have literally just had a passion for food and have come in at a very, very low entry level, like I said, either a commie chef or a, uh, a kitchen porter even, and just observed and worked their way through the ranks. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of the structure within, like a, within a hospital, like within a ward. So the head chef to me sounds like a consultant doctor. Um, and the sous chef sounds like a registrar. So like moving on to sort of like your week, how, how many hours do you think you work in the kitchen per week? Uh, when I was a chef de party, I was, we were contracted to do 48 hours a week over five days, two days off. But there were, there were weeks where I was doing 60, 65 hours, you know. Uh, sometimes when you, you might go in at eight o'clock in the morning, and only be scheduled to do a lunchtime shift. So you'll be finishing at five o'clock. Well, supposed to be finishing at four or five o'clock. If someone calls in sick, then that's it. The head chef's asking you to stay for the evening shift. You know, so you end up doing uh, a minimum of 13, 14 hours, uh, a lot of the time more than that. And often without a break. I mean, if you get 20 minutes to half an hour, you consider yourself lucky. I assume, are you enjoying it? Can we ask? <laughs> yeah, no, do you know what? Um, obviously, um, with what's gone on this year, it's been quite tough uh, going back after the lockdown was lifted. Uh, previous to that, yeah, I loved it. It was, it, it was a step away from what I was doing previously. Uh, the job I was in before was a family-run restaurant, and I was actually the head chef there. But because I was pretty much the only one running the kitchen, it was very, very stressful. And it was, a, it was in Hertfordshire. I live in London and it was quite a long journey for me. So I wanted something sort of closer to home. I know when we spoke over the phone, you spoke about burnout. Was that the period of time that you felt you experienced it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was, again, I was, I was doing about maybe 60 hours a week in the restaurant on top of that traveling to work and then actually physically going shopping for produce was adding maybe another sort of like 10 to 15 hours a week on top of that so my work-life balance was terrible I was sometimes very stressed at work because of the pressure we were quite busy and like I said, I only had two other chefs and obviously my duty was to look after them as well. So they weren't always working at the same time. And yeah, I started getting anxiety. Uh, I was suffering probably two or three times actually during the middle of service. I, I had panic attacks um, and, you know, there was probably only one time I actually left and came home. And it was the point where I'd never felt anything like that before in any of my jobs uh, that I'd done previously. Um, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was happening. Um, I've always been that type of person where it was like, just push through, just push through. And then suddenly I was feeling all these kind of emotions and uh, physical tiredness, uh, mental blockages. And I, I, I was confused because I didn't know what it was. I spoke to someone and they were like, oh, it sounds like you're having panic attacks. I'm like, but I'm not stressed. And they were like, but I think you are, you just don't know it. So I started reading up about 
anxiety and panic attacks. So this was around 2016. Um, so I started reading about uh, mindfulness. Um, and uh, I'd actually done a very, very short online sort of course in uh, mindfulness. I can't remember what the university was called, but it was one based in Australia. So I was just totally online based and it was just sort of the professors talking about mindfulness and what it was and how you can use breathing techniques and meditation as part of your daily routine to focus on whatever you're doing at that specific moment and not focus on anything else until you reach that point. And that really helped me get through. But at that point, I, I really wanted a change in my life, which is why I pursued a job role mm -hmm. in another place. And even if, even though it was a step down for me, because I was, as a chef to party, I was earning a lot less money than I was as the head chef in the family business. Um, but I knew that if I didn't take that one step backwards to eventually take two steps forward, I would have literally just burnt out totally. And, you know, that sometimes you can't come back from things sometimes. I think what you said about sort of, you know, you speaking to that person and they saying that you were stressed and you saying actually you didn't feel stressed. I think that's kind of like how it creeps on up on you. Like you don't, you don't necessarily recognize that something's going on until you kind of get to a point where you can't really ignore the signs anymore. And I, right. I, gen, I, like, I, I definitely relate because, you know, working as a doctor in the NHS, things were like, go, go, go all the time. And there's no specific point for me where I was like, okay, that's when it happened. It was just like a gradual sort of burning out. And it, yeah, it's hard to sometimes recognize it. And I think also, even as a doctor, sometimes it's, you can't recognize things that are happening to you, but you can clearly see it happening to someone else. Yeah. Um, and that still blinds me sometimes even to this day. So yeah, I can definitely understand, um, you know, sort of what you went through. And in terms of like doing the mindfulness course and things like that, that's pretty good that you actually took the initiative to sort of find tools for yourself. So do you think it was sort of like the mindfulness and leaving your place sort of helped you, helped you through that? Yeah, definitely. Because I think I almost became very complacent in my last place as well where I was quite comfortable in my role. So when I joined the hotel, I had that structure. I had the, the head chef who was on my back. And then you had the executive chef that, that was on everybody's back. And I think I needed that sort of kick up the bum, in effect, to sort of find my passion again, almost. And, you know, I'd never worked in that, in that environment where you have a proper pyramid structure. So, you know, I remember the first maybe two weeks and I think it was like one of the very first services we were doing and it was two, two or three of us on the larger section working starters. And I, I can't for the life of me remember what we did, but something happened. Maybe it was just a slow service or it was just a few different issues. The head chef literally took us into the walk-in fridge to give us a hiding, basically, a verbal hiding. And I was like, he's bringing us into this fridge, which is like two degrees. And we're in our chef's whites, short sleeves, freezing our butts off. And it, yeah, it's very old school, but I, I think I sort of needed that. 
to, to re-spark that, that thing in my brain that said, this is, you're doing what you love. And, you know, you just need to work hard at it. With this kind of industry, you need to show your passion. If you're just, you can't be one of those uh, people that just turn up two minutes before you're supposed to start your shift, work the exact hours you've got on your rotor, and then just be like, bye guys, see you later. Mm -hmm. You know, you take over. You need, you need to be there half an hour before your shift starts. You know, be ready to start 15 minutes before your shift starts. If you're not there at five minutes past 10 when your shift finished, they're going to be like, well, why is he gone? I was supposed, I'm supposed to finish at 10. No, 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 no. It says 10, but really, you, know, you have to stay until the job's done. You can't just go. Yeah. So if you show that willingness, then, then you're going to progress. And yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it does seem like a very intense working environment. And it kind of reminds me of like certain specialties in medicine are sort of fast paced. You know, you have to you have to be quick. You have to be on your toes. And yeah, the kitchen kind of reminds me of that. In terms of like the pressures that are in the kitchen, could you describe those? The real pressure is during a service. So if you have, for example... A Friday night and you have 80 covers 80 people booked to dine and you know you have all of those 80 people coming within that three hours your first pressure is to have enough preparation for you to be able to serve those people without running out of anything so that's the first pressure so that's what you have to deal with before service so you have to make sure you've got enough salad prepped for you to serve all those people enough meat prepped because the last thing anybody wants and especially the, the head chef he doesn't want to see you running into the fridge like trying to find a piece of meat or a piece of salad that isn't prepped isn't trimmed isn't washed when he's waiting for you to to serve up a dish to go with something that's coming from a saute or it's coming coming from a grill you know that's the first pressure the second pressure during service would be to get everything onto the pass at the same time so you, your communication is the biggest thing. So if I know it takes me five minutes to put a salad together, but it takes the grill seven minutes to cook a steak, I need to make sure that he's given me a call after that two minutes that the steak has been on. He says, I'm going in five minutes, start your salad. So the communication is the key. And the head chef at the pass is under pressure to keep everything running smoothly. So if he sees that someone has left something behind or isn't communicating right, it's up to them to then say, guys, I need to hear more talking. What's going on? I can't hear anything. Like if there's silence in the kitchen, you're not working together. You know, a kitchen is a busy place. You need to hear each other. You need to be speaking to each other constantly. I mean, a good kitchen, the way it's run is, if you, if you listen, if you're ever in a restaurant with an open kitchen, if you listen, it'll, it's all about timings. You'll hear five minutes, two minutes on this. Are we ready to go? How long on this? It's all about timing. That's the key. And that's the pressure that you're under. But that sounds so intense, like every day. And also with a big company, they, the GM will put a time limit on how long food should take to come out. 
because obviously they want to turn around as many tables as they can during the evening. So they'll say, you know, they'll look at the menu and say, this shouldn't take you longer than this to, to knock up. So they'll say all food has to be from the ticket being printed to being on the pass, for example, 20 minutes at the most. So the minute that ticket comes out, it's the timer's on. So that's where the pressure starts. 20 minutes. So I guess things have to be, like you said, prepped before people even make their order. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, like I said, you know, like a steak won't be trimmed. So we'd have to trim it. We'd have to, it, it, it would have to season it or marinate it if it needs a marinade or any piece of meat, or any piece of fish. You know, literally have to be ready to take it out of the fridge and throw it straight onto the grill. You can't sit there with a fish and start trimming it when the ticket comes through. So the pr- preparation is the key to a good service. The pressure gets even worse when you've got four tables that you have to serve at the same time and they've all got something from your section, they've all got something from grill section. So you, you're like listening out, right, table so-and-so, table 10 has got this dish, this dish and this dish, I need it in 30 seconds. So you're under pressure. Straight up after that, that's it, I need table 12 now. So it's, it's very high pressure, but Definitely. It, it's, a, it's a rush as well. You know, it, it, is, it is a real adrenaline rush. And when that adrenaline kicks in and you're in the flow, then it, 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 it's, really, it's really fun. It's really mm. fun. So like, what about when someone sends thing, like when they send something back, like how, how, does, <laughs> how does that feel? <laughs> so yeah I always always chuckle when people ask me this kind of question because um they're always like oh what do you do with the food when people send it back like do you mess around with it do you you spit in it I'm like no like that's ridiculous like who would ever do that I mean I'm sure there are people that have done that in the past but there's no way you'd get away with anything like that especially in a hotel like it's a definite Mm -hmm. no no and yeah I'm not gonna lie you can get frustrated because some of the demands from the customers are ridiculous um especially when it comes to things like cooking meat like Mm. chefs most chefs are purists like they'll be like i'm not cooking this steak anything more than a medium you know and if someone asks for something well done i'm not gonna lie you roll your eyes but you have to do it but (laughs) the customer is always right you know as frustrating as it can be and as angry as you will get you have to you have to cater to every whim that they're paying the money especially if you're in a, a higher end restaurant you know they're paying the money they're paying top dollar so if they send something back you just you just have to redo it how about sort of going forward like what are your aspirations um i mean i like being in a managerial role that i'm at now but essentially like i said the reason anyone works in a kitchen well most people work in a kitchen is because they want to see people smile with the food you're giving them as you go up the ladder in a restaurant you're going to be spending less time in the actual kitchen um like as a hands-on chef uh you can develop menus but essentially it probably won't be you cooking that dish day in day out that's why you have the commie chefs and the line chefs, they're producing your food to your standard. My dream has always been to own a food truck where I can mm. specialize in a cuisine that I love 
and be able to to go anywhere I want and produce that food for a very high number of people at a fast pace. So probably for the last four or five years, I've that's been my dream to just get a food truck. The only problem is I don't know what kind of cuisine I want to be producing. In the food <laughs> um, I mean, there's so many foods out there. There's so, street food is such a big thing now. There's so much you can do with it. But yeah, essentially, I would like to sort of step out from the kitchen and be able to have enough money set aside to say, I can do, I, I want to just go and do this on my own right now. You know, you go to where the customers are. You can go wherever you want. You can, you can go to events. You can go to places you know are going to be busy. You can go to markets. So you can just take your business wherever you like it. Mm-hmm. And I know people that have done it and they're like, it's the best thing I've ever done. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. yeah, it's, in the next five to six years, I would hope to, to have that kind of thing set up. Even if it's not a permanent thing, even if it's just a seasonal thing where I would do it over the summer, um, I'd like to have my food truck sitting in my driveway and I know I can just take it out whenever I can. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, good luck with that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Should I um, give you a menu idea? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so don't judge me, right? Because people always judge me for this for this thing that I, I used to have for breakfast. So basically, it would be fried egg, right? And yeah. it would be <laughs> it would be sliced toast. You put butter and jam on the toast, and then you put the egg in between, and it's like a sandwich, and then you cut yeah. it in half. That sounds good, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. Fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you I like a bit judged. of sweetness with your egg, yeah. To be fair, to be fair, it's probably not something I would eat. But, it, but it's not. It's that's not. That's not because I don't like jam or I don't like egg. It's just like, but I just hate the idea. No, 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 no. I would try it. I, I would never say no to someone. If someone put Thank put something you. in front of me, I would always try something and make a decision. But I mean. It, it just goes with the sweet and savoury. Sweet. If you, you, you put a nice amount of salt. Have you ever had um, cheese toasty with jam? No. That is also but, really good. But I have a cheese toasty with honey. Ooh. So essentially it's very it's similar. Because we, we eat honey on a lot of things. So you must be familiar with halloumi cheese because it's everywhere now, right? So grilled halloumi cheese is what the restaurants do. We don't really grill halloumi cheese at home. You know, people say, oh, what, do you eat halloumi cheese raw? I'm like, what do you mean raw? It's not raw, it's cheese, you know. Uh-huh. If you have cheddar that isn't melted, it's not raw, it's just yeah, not melted. Yeah, yeah. So people, oh, can you eat halloumi raw? I'm like, well, it's not raw. <laughs> it's amazing to eat non-grilled, just straight really? from the packet. With, I mean, you, essentially you can get, uh, you have brie, and still an, on a cheese board with, with fruit, right? Mm. So we have halloumi cheese with watermelon, oh. which is probably the best fruit cheese combination in the world. But again, it's sweet and salty. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason why you can't throw jam with a savoury dish. Thank you. Again, I egg. have been... <laughs> have you again, been ridiculed have... for it? Yes! <laughs> for so long. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it's probably not something you'll find on a restaurant menu, but at home, that is perfectly fine. 
I agree. Thank you so much, Satirius. You're welcome. So in terms of your Instagram, you are at My Culinary Voyage. Is that correct? Yeah, My Culinary Voyage with underscores between each of the words. So My underscore Culinary underscore Voyage. Yeah, I'll Um, put that down. Oh, lovely. A big thank you to Satiris again and thank you all for listening. If you have any more questions, please feel free to message me. You can find me on Instagram or on my blog, Mind the Medic. And you can also find me on YouTube as well at Zed the Millennial. Until next time, bye!